Hope you're hungry. The table is set. Join us for another cosmic feast. Welcome, everybody. I'm your host, David, and this is your host, Sydney. Time storms, time storms, time storms, time storms, time storms, time storms. I solemnly swear there's a time storm right there. There's a time storm right there. Can you see time storms? You can see them. Let me let me just like other like other people can see them. There is a visual aspect to them. Um, mm-hmm. It manifests itself in different ways. Let me explain to you how it manifests itself with our first story for sixteen-year-old Mark Henschel. Now, well, Ooh. it's eleven thirty p.m., June sixth, nineteen seventy-seven. Mark is a farm worker on his motorcycle on his way home. He's driving his motorcycle on a narrow and isolated road north of Barnard Castle in Durham, UK. It's cold, it's wet, which is strange for midsummer, but there's no traffic when suddenly he sees two purple glowing lights approach him from behind of his motorcycle. He keeps glancing back out at the purple lights. And after 30 seconds, he notices a jaguar about to pass him on the left. He forgets about the purple lights. The jaguar is about to pass him when suddenly a blinding haze descends on both the vehicles. And then they suddenly find themselves in a vivid purple and pink mist. The color, the Mm -hmm. purple and pink suggests maybe some sort of ultraviolet radiation. Purple and pink is definitely uh, a strange color that reoccurs with the supernatural. It's like basically an assault. Mark notices the power drain from his motorcycle. And in his words, I could not understand what was happening at first. Then I moved the throttle and there was no response. I felt my back and legs becoming hot. And I looked over at my leather jacket and it was beginning to steam. Despite losing power, the bike is being pulled up the hill and the Jaguar is being pulled up the hill by some force. Basically, they're by being pulled up by some force. They're being pulled up a hill, oh. even though there's no power in either of their vehicles. I heard, I heard forks. They're being so pulled I, off. I was picturing like giant space forks coming down and just dragging. Well, there is. I do have a great story about a supernatural egg that attacks this oh. family. So, is I have, it hard boiled or? It's it's like a sunny side egg. <laughs> Oh, it's like outside of the shell egg. Yeah, it's like a. Oh. It's a crazy egg story. Um, okay. But so this in this story, they're they're traveling up to three hundred feet. This glow has engulfed them, and then before you know it, it's gone. 
He touches mm. the metal tank on the side of his motorcycle and it's extremely hot. Even though it was raining this evening, all the rain around him on his jacket, on his bike has evaporated and he's wet underneath, but it, something evaporated all the moisture on the bike. So that's the first story of time storms. That And the, is that like literally the first story in the book as well? It's not the first or story in the, the book. the first one you're telling? The first okay. story in the book I... I love it's like it's sort of like a um, sort of a romantic story because it's about a woman in England who um, is with her husband who's a colonel in the army, the British army in India, and they get hijacked by this insane storm. But I don't have that story in my for some reason, I just didn't feel like including it. I wanted to. No, that's of, OK. I have. Even better stories and smaller stories to build up. Um, That's great. I'm looking forward to that. Is do you think that the first story in that book maybe was um, like a like a, how would you say like an autobiographical story? Like because I I don't know much about Jenny Randall's, but I know that she does have a husband and lives in England. How do you know <laughs> she has a husband? I googled it. I googled her. I looked her up. <laughs> I know she has a husband. Um, well, you know, yeah. It, I don't know if her husband's a colonel. I didn't look up her husband, but I saw that she was married and and uh, she has strong opinions on Twitter. I saw that too. Good ones though. The first story almost reminds me of Titanic because, and it's silly that we're talking about a story that I'm not including here, but it'll give people an impetus to read this book. Yeah. But the story reminds me of Titanic because it's like a, a little old lady who has this insane story about her youth um, where... Uh, a storm hits them and they experience the Oz effect, which I'll go into later. But yeah, are let's they on a, are they on a boat? They're outside of their Jeep. They were actually going to visit the Dalai Lama when they get oh, wow. hit by this insane storm that scares the crap out of everybody. And they all decide to cancel the trip. So let's talk about Janie Randall. She's a scientist and investigator. She's lectured at different universities. She, she has a diploma in media and audiovisual communications. And she's written over 45 books. So I think audiovisual communications. So like she's not communications. even communications. She was a director of investigations for 12 years at the British UFO Research Association. Um, she was right. a director that, at the yeah. J. Allen Hynek Center for UFO Studies. She's worked for MIT, Manchester University. We're definitely gonna revisit Jenny Randall's because she's she's a she's a fantastic writer. Everything is a little bit in British. Like they're British terms for everything, it. but it's yeah, yeah, it's yeah. kind of amazing. Does she mention like anybody being on a toilet when they're in a time storm? Because I just love that British people call it the loo. I I actually I want to adapt that into my own language. That's I like think Jurassic Park, so where that guy has the T Rex surprise him <laughs> while he's on the toilet. No, I haven't. Isn't he like in the outhouse or something? Something like that. Remember that? So. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Um, there was I, I met this Australian person at a music festival and we were outside and and their term for outhouse, you know, we we call it like Porta John or um, outhouse. Uh, they called it a portaloo, uh, but you know, in their Australian accent, they're like, "No, we had to head to the portaloo," and I was like, oh, "Portaloo, I love that." <laughs> so I also want to adapt that in my. Well, it's funny because there's a lot of when I was translating these stories, there's a lot of words that we just wouldn't use to describe stuff. I mean, I, I'd have to give you some examples, but anyway, but it's very cute, but she's a very good writer. The first half of the book is case studies. The second half of the book is, um, is insane. It's like her breaking down quantum physics, the theory of relativity, 
and then consciousness, and then going into how all of those things can give us a sense of how time storms work. Cool. She's very cool. The irony of this book, Sids, is that this is not a book about UFOs at all. <laughs> so I gave myself right, that's... a book that has nothing to do with UFOs. Well, and she has written books about UFOs. She has. This is just one of the ones that's not. So In... she's still like knowledgeable about that. Just it's not mentioned in this book. But that's a it's really good because underneath the study of UFOs, underneath everything, underneath the fabric of reality is our waves, electromagnetism, waves. Um, it's it's you, you want to understand how reality works in order to understand why things are able to sort of break the rules. Um, so we will cover that in the second Time Storm show as far as breaking down the theories. But first, let's settle in and uh, enjoy story time for a bit. This book, remember I sent you the thing? I tried to find this book. Um, this yeah. book was like $1,000 in US on, on the Amazon store. Her last book that she wrote, which I have, is Breaking the Time Barrier, The Race to Build the First Time Machine. And that was released recently? 2005. Oh, that was her last book? Yeah, the last book that she published. Girl, what you been doing for 15 years? We got to track her down. All right. That's funny. I'll, I'll add her to the list of people we want to interview in the future. If she's written 45 books, then this is 40... It's got to be 40-something, at least. Well, the beauty of this book is um, just how amazing she is at documenting the stories and how amazing she is at explaining the science. Um, and quantum physics and all of these things are things you need to kind of ex have explained to you over and over again. Yeah. So. All right, I'm ready. 8 a.m., February 9th, 1988. John, a former Army man, who was looking for work near O.S. Street in Shropshire, had gotten up early, but despite his best efforts, he couldn't find any work that day. He was on his way home on a road about two miles southeast of the town when he sees a car parked and a woman standing next to it with her cocker spaniel taking a dump. Oh. <laughs> the dog was off the leash doing its business, and then it was running around barking, playing on the grass uh, that bordered a field. Suddenly the dog goes crazy, it goes berserk, runs across the road, starts barking furiously at something out of view. John follows the dog, and when he finds the dog, he sees what the dog is barking at. It's a yellow fog. It's about 45 feet in diameter, and it's glowing brightly on the top of this hedge. And it's making this noise like the sound of wind rushing. So, <laughs> The mist was whirling in a spiral, causing the leaves around it to rotate as if the leaves were little victims in a mini tor tornado. The dog's unafraid. It runs straight for the fog and disappears like that. Now, it's, no. it's not clear if the dog um, disappears or is just obscured by the mist, but the dog owner, the lady, starts screaming hysterically. John grabs her, tries to calm her down, and they both notice this terrible smell. It's vile, it's horrific, and it's sulfurous. Then there's this eerie stillness. They feel a sensation like an electronic tingling. And John sees the hair on his arms stand as if the air is filled with some sort of static. Only moments later, the fog vanishes and the dog appears lying flat on the ground. And it looks dead. They rush over oh, to the shit. dog and they see it's alive but unconscious. 
and its body is soaked and extremely warm. The heat, however, caused all the water to evaporate on the dog. So again, it's like as if it was in some sauna, just like the yeah. motorcycle driver. But dogs can't sweat. Isn't that, it, are they suggesting it's like a sweaty dog or it's actually No, they're wet, saying it looked down. like it was soaked in water or it was oh. tossed into a bath or something. It's steaming like it had just come out of a bath. Its eyes are red and bloodshot. It's breathing heavily. So John grabs a dog. He puts it in the back of the car. The lady just drives off and he gets down the license plate so he can try to track down the woman later. He ends up tracking the woman down later. Turns out the dog was okay. So I feel like That's listeners good. are going to want to know the dog survived. Although it does I mean, say- I know. I, I sure was. It does say the dog died like a month later, but maybe because of natural causes. Again, we have something, we have some sort of a phenomenon that causes an intense amount of heat. It's wet. We have a mist. We have a sound. We have our first time storm with a sound, a whirring sound. Yeah. Like wind We're rushing. just missing, like, what does it taste like? That's all we need to know. <laughs> what is it? It tastes like Mountain Dew. That one tastes like Mountain Dew, for sure. <laughs> I was totally picturing that. Like the yellow. Is there a yellow Mountain Dew? They're so gross, those Mountain Dews. I man. think Mountain Dew is yellow. Isn't it kind of It's like green? highlighter it's color. It's like neon green. It is highlighter it's, color. Yeah, it's highlighter color. <laughs> Somewhere between green and yellow. I don't know. <laughs> 2 a.m., September 1973. Little Houghton. There's so many weird towns in the U.K. And by weird, I mean there's just a lot of towns. And they have names that are weird to an American, I think. <laughs> Little Houghton or Houghton, U.K., Paul, he's 21 years old. He's driving through the village of Little Houghton in the English Midlands. He's coming home from a dance and he doesn't drink that much because he's got a long ride home and he knows he can't drink. So Paul is having kind of a lame night. As his car passes a, a church clock tower, he notices that it's 2 a.m. The second he passes, his he passes the clock at 2 a.m., he loses all sense of time. Before you know it, he's stumbling down a, ro a road in Broham, 16 miles away, closer to Bedford. He's soaking wet again, and it, although it wasn't raining, there's no sign of his car, he has no injuries, and it's 7 a.m. So somehow he goes from 2 a.m. to 7 a.m. Mm. in an instant. He goes to his friend's house. Um, his friend assumes he's in a car accident, and his friend drives him down the A428, retracing his steps. They find the car five miles from Broham near a village called Turvey. It's in the middle of a muddy field. There are no tire tracks leading to where it is. So it's like as if it was just placed there. Picked up. It's locked. His keys are in his pocket. There's no damage to the car. And he can't drive it out of the thick mud. And he learned oh, that it- Oh, it's in mud? What's that? It, it was stuck in mud? It's stuck in mud, but there are no tracks leading to it. Huh. Two years later- it turns out Paul recalled a little more about his flashback. He recalls driving on a little Houghton and seeing a fuzzy white glow heading towards his windshield and then a blackness. Basically, we're Black doing colors. this show to warn people, like if you're driving or if you see this yeah. white fuzzy glow, just- Or yellow or pink or purple. Run. Or Mountain Dew <laughs> Anything color. fuzzy. Yeah. yeah. Anything that tastes like Mountain Dew and sounds like wind- and is colored. Sounds like Mountain Dew, tastes like wind. <laughs> Something of the sort. January 1992, huh. Lake Ballantin in Hungary. A young woman driving her Trabant. Do you know what a Trabant car is? It, it, I have no idea. A, it's probably a, a UK car. It's UK. How's it spelled? It's like one of those little Mr. Bean cars, probably. 
which I always wanted one of those cars. Yeah, exactly. Trabant, T-R-A-B-A-N-T. Anyway, yeah, she's driving her Mr. Bean car home west of the town of Sexbard in the evening. A fuzzy white light appears ahead of her towards Lake Ballaton. It swoops towards her and the engine lights fade off. Then there's a blackness. She regains her senses hours later and it's the following morning. The car's in the middle of a field. She's totally surrounded by snow, which had fallen days earlier, and there are no tracks, track marks leading to the car on the snow. None of it makes sense at all. No. I mean, she's surrounded by snow that fell earlier. There's no tracks leading to where she is. Basically, it sounds like um, people are being transported instantly places. Like and and like uh, and like almost back in time too. Forward in time, forward in time. But forward? somehow, um, somehow she's in a snow that had occurred. It already fell. That's why I was suggesting that like it, she went back in time because she was some somewhere before the snow fell and then it fell on her anyway. Well, according to Jenny Randall's, it's impossible to move back in time. Oh. The only reason that time travel is possible is because you can move faster than the speed of light, not be affected by time, which is occurring naturally around you. So you, you could literally jump in a spacecraft, launch yourself as fast as the speed of light, come back to Earth, and time will have passed here. So you right. can kind of move through time that way, but you can't move Isn't, back that in is time. A- that is a real thing, though, right? Or do I just watch too many space movies where, like, people, like, travel eight months somewhere and, and yeah. like, their body hasn't aged It's at a all real thing like because to- time won't be affecting the person who's uh, moving further away from Earth the way it would right. for people on Earth. Basically— So then how would, how would Jenny Randall's explain how this person ended up in snow that fell around them that had already previously fallen? I guess it— ended up in a pile of snow that was already there. Because the same thing happens to the guy, Paul. Um, right. So the snow, I'm assuming, is already there. She can't really explain this stuff. And the interesting thing about Jenny is that she tries to say that this is like a very natural thing that happens. This is not supernatural, even though it's totally supernatural. I think what, <laughs> she, what she's saying is that we don't, have, we don't have to label everything as a UFO. Some things can just be flat out bizarre otherworldly yeah or of this <laughs> world that we just cannot explain um yeah so this girl she ends up uh, she's extremely groggy she's got a leg injury she stumbles out of her car uh she ends up getting to a hospital she's dizzy she's sick her leg is in is covered in blood um she ends up stumbling to some nearby factory where a security guard drives her to the hospital at the, at the hospital, it's discovered that she has several marks on her that look like electric burns. She also has oh, a red wow. rash that looks like a sunburn over the exposed parts of her body. Huh. She recovers quickly, and when the police go to recover her vehicle, they find the door handle is welded shut, as if it had been subjected to intense heat. Hmm. I don't know how, how can this storm grab people... I mean, it obviously hurts them because they've got these yeah. burns. Um, it obviously hurt that dog. Uh, but it doesn't kill them. It's weird that it doesn't kill them. Like, it's got the ability to transport a vehicle across distances and through time, but it doesn't. And it can separate the two. Yeah. Um, 
which which can make sense, I guess, if if we're not actually solid and we are these moving wave patterns in our essence, maybe this thing, this thing, th these storms definitely, what I'm gathering from, from the latter half of her book is that these things exist in a world without time. And they just happen to pull right. us into that state. I mean, the story that you just told, like all of those, all of the things that happened to this girl made me think of like getting struck by lightning, just like the burns and the electrical yeah. marks and stuff like that. And maybe like even welding the door shut kind of thing. It's like if, if it was more of like a temporal lightning strike that just like kind of took away some time there or something. Did she lose time? Was that mentioned in that story or? She, well, when she regains her senses after, well, it all begins as she's driving into a white fuzzy light. Watch out, everybody. Don't drive into white oh, fuzzy right. lights. <laughs> um, Can we add that to the ditty? <laughs> don't drive into white fuzzy lights. There's Stay a, away from the white fuzzy light. There's a white storm. There's a white fuzzy light. It'll take you through. <laughs> now it sounds like I want to go to it. That was like a very happy it's made Song. of marshmallow and tastes like Mountain Dew. And tastes like Mountain Dew. <laughs> so she regains her senses hours later, and it's the following morning. Yeah, it trans. So hours, hours later. Yeah, so and later on, I'm going to read a yeah. story where the where actually she breaks it down, so we can kind of identify that a time storm can throw you either hours into the future. Up and up to five days into the future, either five or seven oh, wow. days, but nothing more than that. They say bringing you to like you know the the fabled time where we're finally going to be in flying cars. Are these stories that Jenny has like collected by by doing the same thing that Jacques Vallee did, where he kind of went around and collected stories from people, or she like did research and was just compiling them? Or? So a lot of the stories. She's either researching, finding herself. Um, so I think she's, uh, in a lot of the stories, she's interviewing people herself. The first story that, that uh, I told you, which is pretty cool, which is uh, about that, um, that woman who's with her husband, who's a colonel uh, in yeah. India. She was, she was told the story personally. Um, either she's told the story personally, she's told the story by fellow researchers, or she... Um, or she's reading the story in a researcher's work. And she she's good to credit people who she learns the information from. Some of these stories are famous, so they're they're known at that time. Like there's one of the one of the crown jewel stories that I can't wait to share with you guys. Um, <laughs> is a famous story that happens in Peru. Uh, mm -hmm. and it was famous for what happened to this colonel. Um, it's it's I guess the community of Paranormal researchers is small, relatively speaking. It's a yeah. small community, and the ones that are really good, they do respect each other, help each other, and share information. Um, yeah, but Cause, she because I feel like if I was hers trying to write this book, I would be so like 
confused of where to start. Like, like I, I'm, I'm just curious to know if she like came up with the idea or was already collecting these stories and just trying to find the right book to put them in. And then eventually she had enough to like make her own book <laughs> or like, you know, I'm, I'm thinking like, do you just go to your like local police station and be like, Hey, do you have any weird reportings of like white fuzzy haze? Cause I would like to know about them. <laughs> That's a good question. How do you do anything before the internet? Like, right. Like, uh, don't libraries have, like, those weird devices where you can kind of shift through newspaper articles? What are those things? Yeah, or, yeah, what are those called? Um, Stethographs? Stethographs? Something? Yeah, but they take, like, old old newspaper articles that were, like, transferred to a little tiny, like, shrink-a-dink, and then you put them under the microscope thing in the light, and then, like... Makes them look like they're a, a full newspaper yeah. file. It's There's so always weird. that scene in movies before the internet yeah. was invented where they're like researching stuff at the library. Yeah. I mean, I did write like a couple book reports in grade school where I had to like actually check out books from the library and, and research and stuff. That was like pre-internet. I think that's a really, really terrific question though. How, how do you do research back then? I think it's just really painstaking stuff. Like when we covered John Keel... That's why I have so much respect for John Keel and for Jenny Randles and and people like Jax Fillet because these are people who painstakingly are collecting hard copies of this stuff. They're yeah. writing to newspapers. They're um, they're going to the library. They're printing stuff. They're interviewing people themselves. They're they're just collecting this information where for us, we can just kind of put this on a hard drive. These people were collecting these files over and over again. And I, and I think that these UFO divisions back in the day were also like that. It was like freaking like a folder that the you know UK Ministry of Defense would have on UFOs or something with like just articles and stuff. That's like, that's really intense commitment. <laughs> but it also shows you how, how do you take something that is that can be deemed a farce or just woo or whatever and how do you turn it into like something that you're seriously researching you're you're collecting this information and you're looking for patterns mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. you're <laughs> do you hear that <laughs> is that your puerto rican boom boom music this is being edited out edited out uh yes Time puerto rican <laughs> Time storm. Puerto Rican time bring storm. It, bring it to me, mommy. Time storms. <laughs> Dame lo, mommy. Um, <laughs> my girlfriend's laughing. 10.45 p.m. <laughs> September 20th, 1971. It's a cool evening, and a young chap named Sten Cedar, who's an engineer, is driving home along the E4 route in northern Sweden after visiting friends near the town of Ojibin. So it's a cool evening. Sten's driving home. He's an engineer. He was visiting some friends. We don't know how many drinks he's drunk or how many joints he's jointed. The sky lights up in a special way, and it's not unlike the aurora. He looks up, and Sten sees a curtain of light shining down on the road in the form of vertical beams that aren't touching the ground. Within seconds of seeing these vertical beams which is really bizarre because they're not touching the ground, hovering above the road. He's surrounded by this vertical light beam party. The light show is followed by a strong gravity push and he feels a sense of discomfort. He feels the atmospheric pressure change. He he presses his foot hard on the brakes. The, The car is dead. The brakes aren't responding and he's launched forward. Launched. 
Cedar then says, everything became black all around me. Blackness seems to be dense. It seemed to be dense. There's a floating mass of smoke around him that's so thick, it's impossible to see his hand in front of his face. Then the black cloud seems to act like a mini black hole. He can see the light around him being sucked into this thing. The light from his headlights are even being sucked into this thing, which nothing is supposed to be able to do that other than a black hole. Cedar swings the car sharply to the left, hoping to escape at the turnoff at the crossroads, but he can't see anything. And then boom, he shoots out through the other side some distance from where he is expected to be. He looks back and the cloud-shaped mass, he can see it rising from the road. And not only is it black, it's blacker than black. It's somehow like supernaturally just like dark, you know? The absence. And a dark that we're not used to because there's some element of light in in everything that we see probably. Um, And it just floats up into the sky. So we start to form a picture of some of the patterns for time storms. And I think Jenny Randalls is excited by this because she says that in all these cases, these people don't have any pop culture reference to relate this to. Yeah. Time storms is not like a thing. So if you see a newspaper article or a story where this occurs, they're not describing it the way they would aliens. And I think her right. excitement in the subject, like you mentioned, probably, and her interest in the subject seems to come from maybe studying UFOs and seeing like, wait a second, there's something else that's happening here that could be maybe confused for UFOs. And UFO stories are complicated because we do have it in our collective conscious now. Like we we do have, we do have something that we call this gray aliens, UFOs. We do have these stories and we, we can label them based on this knowledge that we have, but in the time storm cases, people are just describing these freak situations where they see these black masses, these white mists, where they're pushed forward in time. Um, they know they have no frame of reference for them, so there's less of a reason that they there's less of a reason to believe these people are lying, um, especially during this time period where she's collecting these stories. You have yeah. people who have no knowledge of each other's stories. Right. It's not like they're watching this documentary on episodic show on A&E or Netflix or something where they see an episode on it. They have no clue right. that this is happening around them. And so she's picking up the patterns. What are the patterns? Um, strange cloud or mist. They're reported close to the ground. Um, they appear dark at night, but they have illumination. So they generate energy. There's mm-hmm. that Mountain Dew quality to them. They're gr- they're green and yellow, or they're red and purple are the common colors. Is there a red and purple Mountain Dew? I think there is. There's I a there's a red one. There is a red one. Code red. Code, Code red. red. Time storm. Fuzzy gray masses. Um, people I think can mistakenly label them as UFOs because they'll see mist. They'll see glowing objects, and they're just—they can assume that they're part of some sort of a vehicle. Well, they probably associate it with like the sky, so. Well, yeah, but they see this sphere, this mist. Yeah. It, they right. might assume that there's a craft there when there isn't. Um, people have consistent physiological effects, which is tingling sensations, hair standing on end, like they get goosebumps. They literally feel like their skin is crawling. Something that's interesting is that people describe this feeling of being watched. I don't know what that's Hmm. about. 
they they've describing watched. Um, then they also get other things, which is like rashes, sunburns, pounding headaches, watery eyes, nausea, all things that are indicative of some sort of electromagnetic field. Sounds like a Pepto Bismol commercial. Does it? Have you been affected? Naja, Have you been afflicted? Indigestion. Have you been afflicted Upset by stomach time diarrhea? <laughs> you might have time storm. Time storm. What would it be called? Time storm disease. <laughs> time stormia. You have a case Do of stormy Mondays. Do you Time storm. We should do a time storm commercial for Pepto Bismol. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, we could we could do yeah, <laughs> we could do a commercial or a ditty. We have so many options. We have a lot of options. I love the idea of doing fake commercials, like 50s commercials. Yeah. Did you suddenly explode with diarrhea and also move forward in time? <laughs> you might have time storms. I can't tell if like this is an anti-Mountain Dew commercial. Or <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I feel like a time storm is probably more healthy for you than drinking Mountain Dew. Yeah. I said I, it. I would probably agree with that. <laughs> vehicles, we're noticing that vehicles lose power. The lights go out, mechanical components get blocked. So something interferes with electrical systems, can measure the radiation because people feel hot, the water evaporates. People, something that's interesting is people report feelings of isolation, reduced sensory input, a detached state of mind, drift into unconsciousness, and the Oz factor. The Oz factor is like one of the keys of this book, which is that people seem to enter this altered state, a woozy, drowsy state that is trance-like, definitive of the properties of an altered state of awareness. Why is it called the Oz Factor? Does it have something to do with, like, Dorothy hitting yeah, her head on her? I think it does. Okay. But, we're... But, but that would also suggest that people, like, go to another world and experience that world. Or that the other world comes to them. Does Dorothy go okay. somewhere? Or or is the dimension coming to her? Like, she didn't really have a choice yeah. in the matter. Which is sort of that's what happens when she wakes up and sees that she's still where she was. Right. Even though clearly she went to some crazy-ass world. And she goes back, too. There's there's I think there's 14 books. I am a huge fan of that movie. But I didn't like the idea that she was just dreaming the whole time. I didn't buy that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's why it's important there are... Did you ever see the... um? The Jim Henson sequel that they made, uh, Return to Oz, no. with Feruza Balk as like a 12-year-old girl. So good, Dave. You have to watch Jim it. Jim Henson made a Wizard of Oz movie? Yep, a sequel, Return to Oz. Yep. And it's it was, a, and it was full creepy. of like puppet creatures? Um, no, actually, they, I mean, there's like um, the Scarecrow and the Tin Man and the Lion. When They, they only come in at the end, but they are like puppet creatures. Um, she makes new friends, though. She has like her chicken named Belina who comes with her. And there's um, this like military man who's like a big, he's like just a big round tin thing. And he looks like Teddy Roosevelt in the face. And she like winds him up. And his name is TikTok. Um, you're so far you're describing the worst fucking sequel of all time where a chicken no. joins her and a military man named TikTok. No, it's so good because the chicken saves the day. I'm gonna ruin the movie now, but there's like the um the antagonist in the movie is the gnome king and he's like he's like trying to take over the land of Oz. He's like become the new wizard since the wizard left. 
and uh, uh, he's like, yeah, he's he's like stolen all the jewels from the Emerald City, and he's just like keeping them for himself. And so Dorothy has to like go and and free all of her friends because the Scarecrow and the Tin Man they've all been turned into these emerald jewels. And what ends up happening is like uh, the chicken like jumps into the gnome's eye and lays an egg and. <laughs> I can't even believe I'm telling you this story, but my favorite quote from the movie is when the Gnome King is like, he like picks out the chicken and he's like, oh, and he like starts crumbling and falling apart. And he goes, don't you know, gnomes are allergic to chickens. <laughs> what? There's no way this exists. <laughs> I mean, I have a pretty creative imagination, but I don't think it's that creative. Sydney, I could <laughs> never imagine a, a Wizard of Oz sequel where a chicken poops an egg in a gnome's eye. Are the Scarecrow, Lion, are any of those people involved? I told you, they're not in the movie until the end. Oh. Uh, what? I own it, baby. Dude, what? This sounds like a really good movie to like perhaps be on drugs to watch. Yeah. Even though I don't do that. I would so. I would agree. I mean, the first time I saw it, I was a kid, so it's actually produced by Disney. Is it a really bad movie? Because it sounds no, really good. No, I liked good. it. It sounds really good. I I liked it. I think it's good. It's it's more creepy. That's awesome though. I think that's more in line with what the stories are like, right? The stories are a little dark. Yes. Yes, the books are not as bright and cheery as the movie. Um, yeah, they're a little dark. They're a little creepy. Did you read weird. the books? I've read them all. I bought them on my Kindle. That was actually my first purchase. <laughs> Dude, I just got my Kindle in. I'm so excited. I got it for our and show. And then just keep going? To highlight things. Show. For our show. show. I'm Storm. Tom Storms. Tom Storms. Storms. Tom Storms, Tom Storms. You like it, don't you? I like it. it, it it's very like Avengery. Yeah. Mm hmm. It's it's like powerful, like action movie drama. Yeah. Yeah. And like James Bond and the Avengers. <laughs> do you see yourself? Do you see yourself uh, doing this show with puppets at some point? Would that make it visual then? Yeah, I guess we'd have to do a visual aspect of it. Um, if that's a place that I can start with puppetry, then sure. Unfortunately, there's just like not a good, um, outlet for people to like get into puppetry. You just have to be like really obsessed with it and start making it. And, but that's like, so not my thing. I, I still want to be like an actor, but I want to just be taught how to work with puppets <laughs> without having learn. to be like a puppet master. Hi, Sydney. I'm Benny the Tom Storm. How are you? Don't get Do me. Do you say you're Jenny? I'm Benny the Time Storm. Oh, I thought you said Jenny. Oh, I could be Jenny. I'm Jenny the Time Storm. I'm a lady. And I'm the colonel who storm. was locked in that time storm. I it's ain't. always a colonel. <laughs> you ready for this? <laughs> for yeah, I'm ready. We're about Let's to enter it. the best stories. Ooh, okay. Tom Storms. See, I need like <laughs> when we when we're reading this, we're gonna have like thrilling music, like doom, 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 doom. David from Kent. David from Kent tells Jenny Randalls about this experience. So he tells this story to Jenny directly. This is one of my favorites. 1966 is when this happened. Wow. 
Wait, he told her this story. He told her this not story in the nineties, two thousand. Okay, right before okay. she wrote the book. But um, this this is David from Kent. He says, "I was about eighteen. I had been out with my girlfriend. It was around midnight. And we were going to her house. We regularly took this shortcut through a large open space that had a wooded area and stream with an arched bridge. It was a muggy summer night." And they were using the moonlight to guide them. They sat on a bridge to enjoy the solitude and some heavy necking, I'm assuming. Suddenly, they were startled. <laughs> so they're walking, right? They're not in a car. They're walking. Mm. They're 18. Plot twist. It's the summer of love. Suddenly, they're startled by a group of teenagers that are look terrified running by them. Because at first, they thought the teenagers were going to mess with them. Yeah. Um, let me say that again. It's a muggy As night. teenagers do. It's a muggy night. The moon lights out. They're sitting on a bridge enjoying the solitude. They see a group of teenagers approaching them, and they suspect trouble. They, they suspect, like, muggers. But these boys look horrified by something. They're running. David says, suddenly everything appeared abnormally quiet, even for nighttime. My ears felt as if they had been closed, like when you put your fingers in them. It was a numb feeling. A strange depression sets in, a feeling of heaviness. I had a sense of moving my head in slow motion. I turned to look at my girlfriend who seemed concerned. She felt giddy, and the voices of the running teenagers sounded as if they were coming from a valley that caused them to echo. Their sensations were accompanied by a visual apparition. They noticed a white mist about six inches off the ground, right behind the teenagers. It had definitely not been there a few minutes before. It starts swirling around them, and it seems like um, time has just suddenly slowed down. David's body movements seem to take forever. His cigarette smoke is spiraling upwards extremely slowly. As It was as if they had been dislocated from the flow of time and reality. The effect on them seems to slow and hollow everything out. And it was like a record player playing in slow motion. They couldn't understand what they were saying to each other. It was like literally like they were just on freaking mushrooms or something. Um, <laughs> I would have gotten up to run, but he said I felt so heavy. And my girlfriend was now clinging to me in hysterics. The teenage motorcycle gang, apparently they're a motorcycle gang, they fled past me with horror, with a look of horror on their faces. Time had lost meaning and... The feeling of heaviness and depression just got really intense before it was lifted like that. He added that minutes had passed and his cigarette had not burnt out. It was as if the physical process involved in time had been suspended. This is interesting because it's like this this is sort of the way it feels like when you're when you're having like a hallucinogenic experience. Like it yeah. it's it's you can feel that way sometimes. You can feel like time yeah. slows down. You can feel like things like things move slowly. It's like in that Dread movie. Did you see that Dread movie, that Judge Dread movie, where they take no. some drug called slow mo? And it's is it's not a great movie, but it was it had some good stuff in it. But they take this. It's called Judge Dread. It's called Dread with two D's. Um, uh, oh. And Judge Dread is the Sylvester Stallone movie. From the '90s, but this is like a gritty remake of the of the of that and of the comic book. Um, but they take this drug that slows everything down. Um, 
it's just crazy to me that something could immediately get through their minds and change everything. I mean, it makes you wonder if it's their perception that's being affected by something or if this is really happening. And I think we're we're I think we're I think we're obviously being led to believe that this is actually happening. Um because yeah. there's evidence for it. They there's little, you know, there's evidence. The police are finding these vehicles after the fact. They're they're they have burns. They have these crazy experiences. All right, here's here we go with that. And so the only evidence from that story was the cigarette. The only evidence for that story is nothing. Is uh, <laughs> David's David's word? Yeah, I mean the cigarette led him to believe that even though it seemed like it, this experience took forever, um, this, it's not even within the length of a cigarette, which is what like a right. minute. Yeah. I wanted like to build up to the crazy ones. From now on, they're literally just totally crazy. I'm ready. We went from we went from uh, hanky panky summer of love and slow motion to <laughs> to something that's truly truly bizarre. Um, April 24th, 1977, a small unit of army conscripts are sent on a two-day exercise into the inhospitable terrain above the small town of Putre in Chile. The mission was intended to harden the inexperienced troops to the rigors of military life. They're sent um, at night, and they're camped on a plateau at Pampa Luscuma at 12,000 feet in altitude. They have one commanding officer with them, and that's Corporal Armando Valdez. 3.40 a.m., Pedro Rosales, the recruit on guard duty, sees something odd, and he calls out to Valdez, who comes immediately. They see two fuzzy violet lights descending from the mountains headed their way. The ground below is filled with this eerie glow. They're not sure if they're flares that are being sent in some sort of a mock attack. So Valdez springs into action thinking that this is, this is part of the exercise, even though they didn't tell him. So he, tell, he orders some of the men to cover the campfire. They throw blankets on the campfire so that they can avoid detection. He tells the others to secure the camp and prepare their weapons. But now they see just one large fuzzy glow on the hill a few hundred yards away and it just stops there and it's not moving. The men are super scared, frightened. It's 4.15 a.m. Valdez tells them to take cover. He's going to go investigate. Probably like the biggest regret of this man's life is having <laughs> made this decision, being all cavalier. He tells them to crouch behind a near wall with their rifles out and the men are like begging him not to go. The corporal jumps over the wall, heads into the darkness towards the purple glow, and within seconds, the inky light swallows him up. Moments later, the violet glow just disappears, and the men are just sitting there, silently looking at each other, debating what to do next. They decide to wait and in hopes that the commander comes back. Remember, it was 4.15 a.m. At 4.30 a.m., he shows back up. So that's, he disappears at 4.15. 15 main, minutes later, the corporal shows up, walking from the opposite direction behind the men, not what? from the direction he walked in. So they turn around and he's right there. The soldiers see him wandering as if in a trance, and he's uttering the words, these words like a sleepwalker. You do not know who we are or where we come from. He says in this monotone voice, although he never, re- he never recalls saying this later on, 
He can barely stand. He collapses on the ground. The men wait for Don to take to take the corporal somewhere, and they notice, but they notice something strange about the corporal. They, although they had seen him shave hours earlier before the mission, he was now sporting a several days beard. No. His watch stopped at 4.30 a.m., the approximate time of return to the camp, but the date display had been wound on manually through 24 hours at a time. It read April 30th. It was as if Valdez had lived through five days in under 15 minutes. Wow. At about 7 a.m., he regains consciousness. He's totally in a state of shock. And the men decide to bring him to like a nearby town where he tells his story to a school teacher named Pedro Arneda. Huh. The, the, army, the army instructs the corporal not to talk about the experience. You have, we, have these, we have this newspaper, we have the school teacher's account of what happened. This becomes like a famous story. We do know that the corporal had to, uh, was, went in for psychiatric treatment in 1980, a few years later. Um, but that's pretty much the gist of this story. Uh, she got it through another researcher named Antonio Hinus. Thanks, who, Antonio. Thank you, Antonio. But yeah, we have, we have somebody who aged five days in 15 minutes. So while you were explaining that, the like five days passing, it kind of it kind of explained how maybe people think that they could go back in time. And, and you know how you were saying Jenny Randall says it couldn't exist because if he felt like five days had passed, but they, it hadn't, it was only been 15 minutes, then in a way he was kind of reliving those five days again, which could be interpreted as going back into the past. Interesting thought. Not a bad thought, yeah. But, uh, but, but you know, we, we're... we're we're going to raise the question now, and we have to figure out the answer for how how going back in time is possible. Mm-hmm. 4.58 p.m. Edith Sage, a mother of three, again in England, Medway area of Kent, on August 4th, 1980, is walking to the local corner shop to get some peas on a warm, sunny afternoon. She's annoyed at herself because she shouldn't have got, she should have picked up the peas earlier when she was at the store. She didn't pick up the peas. But this woman needs peas. Why you would leave your three kids just to go out to get peas is beyond me. Desperate times. Oh man. wait, no. English people love peas, don't they? Don't they make they like do. a they make like a pea mash out of it? Yeah, mashed peas. That sounds really good. That sounds like something you would you would make with your delicious food that you make. Is that like is that like a white person insult? What do you mean? I feel like no. I feel like you you have like very hearty meals. I've heard you make. <laughs> Like turkey meals and chicken meals and <laughs> what do you eat? I feel Just like peas? peas would be involved. I don't need anything. No man, quite I as think peas are like one of my least do. favorite veggies. I had it chicken is? pot pie soup today though. Weren't peas involved? Actually, yeah, you're right. They were, <laughs> but it was like a mixed vegetable bag. So I, I don't, I don't go out and buy peas. But if they happen to be in my mixed vegetables, it's. Just- Let me tell you how badly Edith Sage regrets going out to buy peas. She's <laughs> As she's walking down a small alley, out of the corner of her eye, she says, the sky made me jump. It was like a smoke ring going round and round with sparks around the edge of it. Like like in the Doctor Strange movie, you know, when he like passes through yeah, time. Yeah, a swirly yeah. electric business. Yeah, that, uh-huh. Another case of electrified mist is in another time storm. Behind the smoke, 
Edith sees what looks like a futuristic helicopter appear. It's basically a large transparent bubble with military men inside. Um, oh, what? And some sort of tan markings on their camouflage. Inside the bubble, there are two humans wearing like jumpsuits. They're not aliens. They're not a genetically altered human beings. They're just two dudes in like some sort of a future copter. Uh, an invisible future copter. Well, I think she right? can see the glass. They're oh. like in this little futury copter bubble thing. I don't know if that implies that there is like a helicopter component to it. There's something spinning around. Do you think it was Doc and Marty? Doc and Marty, yeah. Or Rick and Morty. Edith stared. Oh. She's, she's like mouth agape staring at this scene. She experiences the Oz factor. Um, everything just kind of slows down. She almost thinks she's hallucinating. But then the, the craziest thing about the story is that she starts to kind of hear what they're saying to each other. She hears them talking to each other. And one of them's like, you said it would be all right. And the other guy's like, I know, I know. Look, it's all right. She thinks we're in the army. It's fine. Oh. Like they're having this mundane conversation about being seen by this woman. Which means they could be aliens in human skin suits. That's, ba -ba that's possible, but it seems like they're just, they're like, they're just doing something very routine. And they're having like a very routine conversation. And that's the brilliant thing about this story is that they're having these little routine conversation about being seen. Maybe they were performing some sort of a military exercise or something. This lady sees them. What do you think she does after this? Screams for and spills her bag of peas on the ground and then trips. She didn't have her, her peas yet. Oh. She, was she heading to the grocery store? This she happened was outside, heading to the or? grocery store, yeah. So after um, this happens, she goes to the store. She buys the peas. She has a conversation with a woman about a wedding. She goes home and she forgets all about it. She dismisses it as a dream. As one would. So that goes to show you how much of a natural reaction that is to this kind of stuff that a lot of people would just choose to forget it. Yeah. You wouldn't really want to tell anybody about it. It wouldn't be a big deal. But the reason that this becomes a big deal to her is that she can't sleep for the next few weeks. And she ends up realizing that when she goes back to the store later on that like reality has shifted. Everything about the alley is different. There's a tree where there wasn't a tree before where the helicopter pops up. She notices all these minor changes in reality and it mm -hmm. drives her nuts. Like she ends up sort of re realizing she remembers the experience and she really can't help but think that something shifted in reality. Worst case scenario, your reality just shifts during a time storm. Yeah. They're called reality blinks. Reality blinks or Blink. blanks? Like I blink, exactly. So you know how people talk about the, like a shift in the matrix? They, they use that expression? Yeah. Well, you know, people usually say it when like they see the same, they, they maybe they see the same person pass by them that they thought they already saw. Or they see um, like something, something reoccur that had already happened. Like deja vu, yeah. Or um, have you ever had that experience where you feel like there's a glitch in the matrix? I don't know if I've ever referred to it as a glitch in the matrix, um, but I do have deja vu often. You do? Yeah, often. Do you remember the last time you had it? it? They're unimportant things. It's like I was washing the dishes with my fiance and it's like Ooh, the- <laughs> yeah. And it's like I was drying I was drying this plate and it had all this cat hair on it. And I was like, oh my gosh, why is this towel so hairy? And then I like stop and I'm like, oh my God. 
that whole scene has played out before already. <laughs> like, unimportant, but it's just, and then it hits you, and you're like, this has already happened before. <laughs> what gets to me is we're having a memory of something that we already saw, we already heard, but when did that original vision occur? Do you think in our sleep? It had to have been in our sleep. I actually would think of it as happening in in real time but like for some reason we're not experiencing real time during that time so it's like i think when you experience it it has just happened but you're it's just happening again at the same time <laughs> that's how i always see, see it. for me it's i i think i i think it had flashed before me in a dream mm. right before the coronavirus well not right before but uh february like around my birthday um, around February, we went to a comedy happy club. Happy late birthday. Thank you. <laughs> uh, happy late birthday to you, too. Around the, around right before the, uh, the virus really sunk its teeth into our reality, uh, I went to a comedy club with my girlfriend. We walk into the lot. We're late. We take, a, we, take a new, we take an Uber there. It's a freaking Tesla, which is incredible. Wow. Extra special for my birthday. So this Tesla pulls up to the comedy club. We go to the lobby. As I'm approaching the woman at the lobby and she says her little spiel, I look over at the comedy club, the bar, the crowded restaurant, and I immediately realize that I've had that experience before. Mm. Like I've that entire moment has happened before. But the thing is, when you see it in your dream beforehand, because that's when I think the deja vu happens in your dreams, it doesn't make sense. You're like, what am I doing here? Like, why am I here? What are we doing here? And so that was what you had experienced in your dream i remember thinking to myself like what are we doing like what is this bar restaurant place and what are we waiting for oh. i could kind of sense that i was in the dream i could remember thinking like this isn't really a restaurant like what are we really doing here um and we were there to be led downstairs to the show i actually had deja vu right before our show our first show where i was reading about time travel and relativity and i remember and i thought to myself like this is nuts that i'm reading about this at like 5 a.m and then i had experienced deja vu and i was like oh my god i remember having a dream where i was reading about this kind of stuff thinking this is nuts. like why would yeah. i be reading about this you know right stuff like that to me makes me feel like we're on the right path yeah that's interesting i can't say that i have had a similar experience to that dream wise i have a lot of dreams where i don't know what's going on or i i don't recognize the place or you know like you see a bar that you don't recognize but i they never come full circle at least not that i remember well it's so such an instant flash of a of a memory. I mm -hmm. mean, we see it's like a slide in the film. Mm -hmm. Like it, it's a slide that passes by while we're dreaming. It doesn't mean that much. And then later on, you instantly know that you've seen that before. Right. There have mm -hmm. been a couple things like that with regards to the show, which makes me feel really good. Coincidences. How are we doing with time? I have like one more, one or two okay. more. Cool. Have you ever had the feeling like you could kind of? Sense, like you made a decision in life and you could have made a different decision. Do you ever feel like you are also connected to the opposite decision? Like in other words, if you had the choice to date two people and you dated one, but you have this feeling like you kind of could sense what that other path was like, or you chose one career instead of another. Do you ever have a feeling mm. like you have any connection to like a parallel version of yourself? I don't know. I, I don't know if you're asking about like a realistic connection, but I do. I do think about those things, but I think they're also connected to like 
regrets and what ifs, but it's it's kind of like a more like a created like you create the scenario in your mind of like what if how would that have turned out? What's a one if did, that I, you that you think about? Um, I I think a lot about like what if I didn't move to New York? Like how would I still be as a person? And oh, I'd probably be here, and I would have these friends still, and I'd be stuck here. Or like what if I didn't meet Kyle? Like I mean, I think it, it it's it's pretty broad in that sense. Like life choices mainly. Have you ever had any dreams where you kind of experienced that other reality? Mm. Have you ever had any visions of like, oh, like this is what I would be doing right now at home? Or I guess I've never thought of it that way, but I do have dreams of me being the age that I am now and knowing everything I know now. But like, I still live in my hometown, and like my grandma is still alive, so like things like that. And but I, I've never like woken up and thought about them like, oh wow, that could have been a different life path. Um, but that is interesting. Grandma, grandma's a great example actually, because I think about that. Yeah. I think about what. Because my grandmother died. My mom's mom died when I was around seven. She was like the matriarch of our family. She was going to come back to the States to live with my mom and I at a time and my brother when we really needed her the most, when my parents were getting divorced. Uh Having her in our life would have been like my family not being alone. Like it would have made such a difference in our lives. And I often think like, what would it be like if I just had her in my life? Like if I could mm-hmm. just talk to her, if we could hang out. Um, I think grandma's a great example of that, you know? Uh, I guess someone who's died and, and like what would happen if they were still alive. There is possibility that there is a version of you that is living in your hometown that is still there in another mm-hmm. reality. Yeah, parallel universe. Jenny Randall's towards the end of this whole thing starts to wonder uh, what a lot of quantum physicists wonder, which is, are we really looking at a situation where everything that is a probability branches off into another reality? Because that would be insane. It would be literally like Rick and Morty where there is just an infinite amount of Rick and Mortys. And, yeah. and they often go through to another <laughs> another reality and they'll kidnap or kill that one. Or they'll just, they don't, they don't mind as long as they're not messing with their reality. Um, Did you ever read the book Timeline? No. What's that? It's it's kind of like a time travel book. But the, um, the guy who wrote it, I want to say his name is Michael Crichton. Hold on, let me, I can I can fact the check the Jurassic this right Park now. author. Yeah, it's Michael Crichton. Yeah, correct. So he is um, he's Full someone circle. who's very interested. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, very interested in quant- quantum physics too. And so he, what's cool about the movie? I mean, the book, not the movie, because the movie is kind of just like very basic, like storytelling version of the book. Um, but the book really goes in depth about like the science science behind everything about the time travel and. Uh, um, uh, he talks about how, like, every single choice that is ever made branches off into another parallel universe. So, same like you were saying with Rick and Morty, infinite number of universes, and what time travel is, is you just switching from universe to universe and not really actually going back in time. That's kind kind of... Kind of what you're talking about. Well, that would that would totally... No, it is. and And that would totally play into... Jenny Randall's this theory that we can only go forward. We can go forward with different things being true. Well, you but know, we can go sideways too. We can go sideways. We can go into a reality where dinosaurs didn't die, where um, where MLK was never shot. You know, where mm-hmm. uh, different 
different things are true. Um, I've always wanted to go into a reality where cats are like more anthropomorphized, where they're a lot more human. Cool. Um, there, there's there too. Will you take me? Uh, let's go. <laughs> you think you would get into a relationship with a cat man? Yes, one hundred percent. Because I think I would get into a relationship with a cat woman. Actually, I might be in a relationship with a cat woman too. That sounds better. <laughs> That would be really hot. What what is that what is that cartoon show with the with the cat people? Uh the the horse show? What the hell is that show called? It's not a horse show. Horseman, the show. No, no Bojack Horseman. Yeah. No, no I'm talking about like um like nineties, like He Man. It's like it's oh, it is He Man, but it's with cats. Thundercats, that, yeah. That's what I'm thinking about. I really want to watch that show again. Bojack? But no, Thundercats. Oh. <laughs> I had a really bad experience with He-Man where I tried watching it again, and I was crushed by how boring it was. It's incredibly boring. I totally agree. It's incredibly bad. Um, unlike another show called Brave Star, which is amazing. Brave Star? I never watched that. It's a weird show where there's like these... Um, they're like cowboys in like a pretty much like another dimension or like on another planet. I don't even know. No, they're like Native American. Uh, he's like a Native American sheriff in like some sort of a sci-fi world. Oh, cool. It's a cartoon too? Yeah. It's, it's, it's like, it's very trippy. Um, but maybe there are dimensions where animals are super intelligent. Uh, a lot of, a lot of people who experience, um, there are a lot of people who, ex not a lot, but there are people who experience uh, visions of dog men, men with dog faces. Uh, you know, they run into a, a, a the, basically that old painting of car, uh, dogs playing like a card game. Yeah, um, poker. Yeah, that's, um, you know, maybe there are these other realities next to us. Um, so in a time storm scenario, uh, we might see a situation where you're switched into your, a different, what, it, what would happen if you switch places with the other you and you're suddenly stuck in a different reality? Um, Yikes. July 28th, 1974, Peter Williamson is barbecuing in his garden on a sunny day. Peter is minding his own business. He's uh, hanging out in his yard, barbecuing, scratching his balls, having a good time. Um, little does he know what's about to happen to him is going to be super weird. He's starting to relax when suddenly a, a storm hits. Um, it's a heavy electrical storm. His dog ends up cowering under a tree, super spooked by the atmosphere. He goes over to comfort his dog and pick him up. Uh, and as he goes towards Skip, his dog, um, Peter vanishes. He, he vanishes or the dog vanishes? Peter vanishes, yeah. Oh, what? The crazy thing about this story is like you're, the dude was just in his yard. Like he wasn't yeah. driving off drunk or 
whatever on some weird English road where time stores like to hang out. He was just in his yard. His wife, Mary, calls the police. Um, She has to be sedated because she gets so hysterical. The children go stay with a friend, and there's a massive search by the police to find this guy. There's no sign of him. Everyone somehow makes up a story that, like, lightning must have disoriented. Um, oh, because they were having a little party. Lightning must have disoriented everybody at the party. They, they must have not noticed that. Wait, so did people witness him go missing? Nobody witnessed him go missing. Okay. But they just couldn't just find dog. him. They couldn't find him. And, uh, but they just make up some story. They're just like, oh, he must have gotten amnesia. When stuff like this happens, like, people just, like, Instead of just stating the facts, like someone vanished out of thin air, they just make up some story. You must have gotten well, amnesia. Yeah, vanishing is not is not a real thing. You can't attribute that to reality, so you have to be able to ground it with some realism. <laughs> Isn't it, Sydney? Isn't it a real thing? Right? Bump up, bump time storms. Time storms. 8 a.m. Three days later, Peter's found unconscious in a nearby shrubbery. He has one foot in the pond, one foot out of the pond. It's like he just appeared. See, shrubbery is a good example of words that we just don't use in this country. Shrubbery. Shrubbery. The blotty shrubbery. He was found in the blotty shrubbery. That bogey. (laughs) Found in the blotty shrubbery. This gardener gardener finds him, and the gardener is the only person with the key to this yard that Peter's in, and... Uh, then Peter's taken to a hospital. He's in a state of shock. He has no idea what happens. Suddenly, the following throughout the following week, Peter is having these insane dreams. He starts having these insane dreams where he finds himself back in that garden. He finds himself wandering from that garden to a hospital. At the hospital, he starts talking to this doctor, uh, these nurses. Um, he starts interacting with family members, um, like really mundane dream about him being in this hospital while he's at a hospital. He has dreams of being at some other hospital. Hmm. A researcher gets involved and starts interviewing him to try to figure out what happened. Um, Is their name Jenny Randall's while he's in this hospital? No, (laughs) his name is Colin (laughs) Possums. Colin Possum. Colin Possums. While he's in the hospital, he starts to kind of imagine this other hospital. He starts to see the furniture kind of glitch in and glitch out. He starts to like really kind of have this sensation like he's in a different hospital, like from his dreams, which is really bizarre. Um, Super weird. It's giving me the, the creepies. He goes to therapy and he's put under hypnosis um, where they start to kind of ask him, like, what is this? Like, what are you seeing? Like, who are you? What are all these stories you're telling us about? Um, They can't really figure out. (laughs) Long pause. They can't really figure out... uh, it doesn't seem like he's lying about any of this. Like, it seems like he's genuinely remembering this stuff. The researcher ends up tracking the hospital that he's talking about, that he's having dreams about. It's a real oh, hospital. Wow. 
it's from a cottage infirmary. Uh, he has the name of the hospital right of his dreams. He has the name of the doctor right from his dreams. His what? Uh, there's a the the nurses that he's describing are there. The sisters, the nuns that he's describing are there. Uh, hospital nuns. Um, but there's no record of him being there. There's no record of him ever being a patient there. There's no reason to suggest, no, none of the doctors that he mentions or anything the researcher finds out know anything about him. Um, so it it makes you wonder, like Peter gets thrust into a time storm. He ends up on the other side of it with a memory of having visited a different hospital. Is he somehow interacting with this other reality where he was taking to a different hospital? where he's yeah. experiencing this whole other thing. Um, and I think the time storm is the key to him being connected to it. Hmm. Yeah, like split universe, but but he's in he's aware that he's in both of them. He's aware that in he's in both of them. And and I don't think that we would normally have any connection to parallel realities unless we're yeah. dreaming or something. Um, but I think once once this time storm business happens to you, it 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 shifts your ability to communicate with reality. Like um, like Edith, Edith, whatever her name was, she couldn't really get over having seen that helicopter and having seen reality shift. Yeah. He he. This guy literally is seeing another uh, other furniture kind of pop up into his reality. Um, yeah, that's like oddly specific too. Yeah. Um, all right, our final story. <gasps> bum, 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 bum. bum 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 bum. What would be our final story sound effect? Time storms. The final storm. The final storm. Get ready for the final. Stone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Faye Knowles. No relation to Beyonce. Beyonce Knowles. Knowles? Beyonce's long lost stepsister. Faye Knowles, January 20th, 1988. This is actually apparently a famous case. Faye and her three sons, between the ages of uh, that they're all between the ages of 18 and 24. They're driving uh, from their home in Perth. Western Australia, paying a after paying Perth. A, what? Perth. Perth. That's where the Portaloo. That's where the Portaloo girl was from. Perth. <laughs> they're uh, they're driving. They were driving home. Faye and her sons are driving back from visiting family, whom they surprised in Melbourne. Um, they're, Melbourne. They're driving. <laughs> they're driving. <laughs> I mean, I'm a, giving you the, the Australian translations. <laughs> you have to. Is that accurate? Melbourne? Yeah. That sounds yeah, pretty from accurate. Melbourne. Yeah. Apparently Australia is huge, so it, it's taking it them is. forever to drive back. They're driving Naturally. like day and night to get back home. They're driving in their 1984 Ford Telstar um, along the Ear Highway. Or uh, how would you say E-Y-R-E? 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 The, the Erie? The Erie the Highway. The Ire? Oh, maybe the ire? The ire. E-Y-R-E. E I've never heard that. It's 1.30 a.m. They're driving along the coastal mountain range. 
Traffic is light. Not too many cars along the road. Sean Knowles is driving the car. Oh, it's um, pronounced air. Air, is it? That's what it says. So Sean Knowles is driving. Patrick is in the passenger seat. His mom, Faye, is in the back with brother Wayne. They have two dogs in the car. At 4 a.m., somewhere between Madura and Mundrabija, he sees what looks like an egg in an egg cup. The egg! The egg. It's slightly, it has a slightly slanted balloon shape and a white vaporous edge and a yellow mid portion. So what kind of egg is I that, like do you eggs. think? I like eggs. I mean, that definitely sounds like a cracked egg. It's a floating, like, cracked egg. It is it sideways, though? That's how it, I'm imagining it. It literally has a yolk. Um, so it just says it was slightly slanted balloon shape. With a white vapor vaporous edge. So it's like it looks like a like if you could see through a hard boiled egg, kind of. Oh, so it's still egg shaped? An egg in an egg cup. What does that mean to you, an egg in an egg cup? Oh, well, you know how like hard boiled eggs, when they put them down and you crack the top of it, or yeah. if you soft boil an egg, you put it in an egg cup. It's like a little candlestick stand that the egg just sits in it upright. So maybe it looks, maybe it's like a little slanted, but it's, it's, uh, it looks hard boiled. Maybe it, it seems like it's sitting in like a little saucer kind of thing. Yeah, but they can, but she can see it. She can see the yolk and everything. 4 a.m. They're driving on the road and they see this thing ahead of them. Um, it's moving in a corkscrew fashion, um, around the cars in front of them. The egg starts moving from side to side, and they swerve the car to avoid hitting this thing. Wow. They think they miss it. They breathe a sigh of relief. They think they've totally avoided whatever this weird thing was. And then they see this thing, and it comes right back over the top of their car. You're like, how dare you be so talented to miss us? Whoosh! It makes whatever sound a, a ghost egg would make as it, it's at the top of your car. <laughs> Their vehicle begins to shake violently on the road from side oh my to God, side. It's scrambling them. At this time, they're aware of a high-pitched whirring noise and stated that they feel disoriented. Their voices become slow and deep when they're speaking. They're unable to say how long the object is on their roof, but during that time, it starts to lift their vehicle off the road and then forces it back down heavily. At wow. some point, this freaking aberration of gravity, um, the egg lets them go, and, it's, and, the, and the car smashes into the tarmac, and one of the tires burst. Then Sean somehow maneuvers the car off the road, changes the tire, they, they stop the car. Well, actually, they stop the car and they go running from the car into the bushes to make yeah. sure this egg isn't chasing them. Um, they go running into a nearby shrubbery. And then for... Shrubbery. Shrubbery. And then uh, they end up changing the tire of the car. They see a semi pass by them. They try to hail it down for help because they're freaked out. The semi just keeps going and avoids them. Um, as semis as do. As you do. Uh, okay. And then basically they change the tire of their car and they drive to the nearest hotel and then they basically start telling everybody what happened. Um, wow. The semi 
uh, who's this, this woman named Anne is driving it with her husband next to her, ends up at that hotel and they corroborate the story because they saw them on the side of the road. Um, the semi, and then there's another semi that was behind them that kind of uh, witnessed some of this. They mm-hmm. end up going back for the, they end up going back to kind of see what had happened, see if they could find evidence of what had happened. Um, they see evidence of them having changed their, the tire, but they can't find the car jack or any of that stuff. I don't know where that stuff wow. went. Um, but this is nuts because the car levitates. Um, when this happens, the car, the dogs apparently lost their shit. They become super frantic. I mean, I think animals are super sensitive to these kinds of yeah. events. Um, oh, when Patrick rolls down the window during this crazy egg egg trauma, uh, um, there's a black dust that fills the car, and it uh, it get ends up getting in all over the seat. Um, this, like egg dust. This case made headlines, and they even had the dust tested, and it turned out to be, like, just debris from the area. Um, mm. And there are people who corroborate the story, like the truck drivers, the people at the hotel. Um, and they just they just hauled, hauled back to—they just kept driving. And they were freaked out. Um, but the right. Australian Mineral uh, Development Lab— were the ones who tested the material. Um, and that's that and story. And they didn't want to tell them what they really found. Dun, dun, dun. Which was alien poop. You wish. <laughs> so, yeah. So, that's, that's a crazy story. That one's, crazy. that one's crazy because there's like an egg situation involved. I like it when, right. when eggs attack people. Yeah, it's like cloudy with a chance of meatballs. I like the idea that in other dimensions, there's just like inanimate objects that are super intelligent. Um, <laughs> what I'm wondering is, are, are there time storms that are sentient? Is it, is it, is it, is it an orb? Is it like a, a sentient ball of energy that causes this shift it just somehow goes back into our reality and it has these effects around it like the egg itself was the egg like an entity that was kind of messing with people here or is it the time storm itself that um that has this effect on people because i think i think what can happen also is the time storm is sort of like the effects that you get from moving through time like it's it's the it's the um, the crazy energy that that forms when you open up a gateway, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it can happen. Yeah. I think there there are cases of I think there are cases of UFO sightings with a lot of these effects around it, or right. or even you know crazy entity sightings where these things happen. Um, and it's like, uh, is this a result of a portal being opened up somehow? Right. So, like, you're asking if if it's more that the orb is generated by another power or being, or if it's just created as a result of, like, high energy that 
kind of like lost its control. Yeah, it's like the chicken and the egg, the time storm and the egg scenario. What about the gnome and the chicken? The gnome <laughs> and the chicken and the time storm and the egg and the poop dust, the alien poop dust. <laughs> I mean, I think it's like I, I would I would assume that it is leftover energy. That's that's kind of what I'm what I'm picturing. Like, have you ever seen there's an actual term for it, but have you ever seen like a ball of lightning before? See, that is really amazing that you say that because ball lightning is another natural phenomenon that's really insane. Phenomenon. Phenomenon. <laughs> we should just well, from now on we don't say the word phenomenon. We say phenomenon. <laughs> I'm okay with that. Phenomenon. Yeah. No. Yeah. Ball lightning is like super rare and it. It, on top of it being super rare, it's really hard to catch on camera, but there's like very few instances where it has been caught. And that's kind of a weird, yeah, it, it doesn't look we it doesn't look real. It doesn't look like it's from this earth, but it's like it's it's it is energy in its purest form. and like maybe that's almost exactly what a time storm is. and or maybe it's a type of maybe time it's storm, a you know? much more intense version of that, like a yeah. much more supercharged form of that. Right. Where it does cause spatial temporal distortion. Because then, because then you think about like stars and planets, and and just like astronomically, that they that no star and planet is uh, is alike. That they're all different and different sizes and different ages. And like when a star is born and when a star dies, and and sometimes a star can just like invert on itself and become a black hole. And all of that is due to like energy and how that's formed and how how it affects tangible things so that's a good point though that that with that a star uh collapsing in on itself turns into a black hole and what's happening in these scenarios where we're seeing this black hole effect is that sort of the end of the time storm the energy ball kind of collapsing on itself that, right. But it's just in mini form. Um, and But why aren't these people being sucked in in like forever, you know? Or maybe they are in certain scenarios, but we never hear about those people because they never get found. Um, right, they never got to share the story. They never got That's to. what I was going to ask too about a lot of a lot of these stories. I bet they, the better stories are the ones where people don't come back and you don't get to hear the, how the story ended. Well, you know what? what There are these books that I really want to cover for our show called Missing 411, where there's this ex-police officer, David Polites, who collects all these stories about the thousands of people that go missing in our public parks, um, where the circumstances are really strange. Um, People Mm. go missing, and then there's search parties forever looking for these people, and then they end up finding their clothes, like weeks later neatly piled in like a little pile on like a cliff uh, a lot of the people who go missing they, they're like children or or people with special needs um sometimes the people come back sometimes a lot of the times they don't um uh, but i mean that that sounds more worldly to me though that doesn't sound like creepy and out of this world that sounds like serial killers and rapists kind of thing <laughs> well the uh a lot of that stuff 
one when we cover it, you'll see is probably more related to this kind of stuff. I mean, the idea that they would comb the area um, and then find their clothes perfect in perfect condition. They find they see no signs of a struggle. Um, people who are extremely experienced, it's like their stuff is literally placed in certain yeah. locations. I kind of picture aliens like kidnapping people and then just awkwardly like putting their clothes there. Like, I don't know. They're like, we don't, we don't actually need We don't this need this part. stuff. Sorry. Maybe they'll want it, you know? Um, uh, in those situations, sometimes people who are nearby hear like a door opening or closing, like some sort of a weird like gateway sound. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're dealing with stories of people who came, who came back. But, you know, I don't know. I don't know. It definitely creeps me out about this stuff. Like, I, I'm not, I don't think I'm ever going to be big into hiking because I don't know if I want to, like, be out there on my own. <laughs> on my own. I, uh, are you, I'm are you guys going into hiking? A, yeah, I'm going to go on a hike with my mom for two weeks in Utah in August, hopefully. Dude, be careful. Watch out for those time storms. Thank you for dining with us. Hold those cosmic appetites for next time. Reach out to us on Twitter and follow us on Instagram at Cosmic Feast. 